this morning, uh, the re- we're just saying the reason that God, the Holy Spirit, chose to give the New Testament in the Koine Greek New Testament is because the Greek is the most picturesque language that there is. That's the one he chose. But he also chose it, and there is what is known as the, the, the classic Greek, the Attic Greek, and the Koine Greek. And the Koine Greek was what the Holy Spirit took of the Greek language. He took it, the Holy Spirit, and brought out the word with it in a way that we could truly understand it. Now, we can truly understand it to the measure that we're truly hungry for it. And that, that's something that he has to create in us. God has to create the hunger in us. Because <clears throat> there's no way we would do that ourselves. There just isn't any way. So, again, to understand it, and, and, and there's times when, when you bring out the tense, the mood, the case, and the voice of the original. Now, you don't always do that. You can bring it down with all those things and still bring out truth. But there is that measure that I do believe some really need, especially those that are, I, I think with all of us, that are pastors and teachers. They, they are the ones that I really believe that need to know the things that God wants to reveal to us this morning. And we don't necessarily have to bring them out. And a lot of times we can't with the way that God gives it to us. But he can give it to us to give to others in a way that they can, they can all partake of it. But I do think it's extremely necessary for those that are leaders, that are pastors and teachers, that, do, that God has created hunger, has brought us to this place in our growth where he can minister intimately to us, but also to do it through us with the gifts that he's given us. Especially, I think, in Ephesians 4.11, it says there's evangelists and then there's pastors and teachers. And specifically for pastors and teachers. This is 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15 that brings that out. And then in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24, the word there, even in those places where it says apt, it means we are to be highly skillful in our understanding. And then the Holy Spirit can take it and bring it through us in a way that others can understand it. But this is where I believe God wants us to be. So I'm going to just share some scriptures. And this morning, very, and it's really simple to understand these things. And I believe the simplicity of it has to do, honestly, where God's grace and truth has brought us in our growth. It may not be for every way in this measure, but it is for everyone. <laughs> okay? So here, I'm just going to read, and we, <clears throat> really the precursor to this was, was yesterday, Sunday morning's message, to help to even prepare for what is here. And so, I'm just going to read two scriptures, and it's 1 John 4 and verse, and verse uh, 10. But you can read that, that fourth chapter and, and many others that God will lead you to read. But I'm just going to read uh, uh, 4, 10, and 11. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that, but that he loved us. So this is again teaching us that love is not God. God is love. No such thing as love outside of who God is. That he loved us and sent his son... And then to be as italicized, and, and I don't think it necessarily has to be there. He sent his son, the propitiation for our sins. And our sins there is brought out very clearly. They're for those who chose Christ as the substitute to deal with their personal sins. They and they alone. No others. Now the Old Testament saints, they look forward to it. And they said, yes, we look back to it. And we all meet at the cross where the work was finished. Yes, it was finished in the eternal mind of God in Acts 2.23 and in in, uh, Revelation 13 verse 8 and in Hebrews 4 and verse 3. Yes, it was. But Christ had to come and actually work it out to accomplish it, to be the revelation and manifestation of that. 
And we're going to see how this is brought out. So, 4.11 of 1 John. Beloved. And I love what that says. Beloved. It's almost like beloved because you are. <laughs> beloved. Beloved. That's who we are in God's sight. Because we're in his beloved, which is his son. We're accepted in him in Ephesians 1.6. Beloved, if God, if and he did, first class fulfilled condition of the word if. Remember, there are four different classifications for the one word if, all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. There's if and there is, first class fulfilled condition. If and there isn't, second class fulfilled condition. Third class condition. If and it may or may not be true. And the fourth, it's possible, but not usually, pro it's probable, but not possible. <laughs> Those are the four classifications. Here, in the if here, it's the first class fulfilled condition. So it's really like since. It's Romans 8, 31. Since, first class fulfilled condition. If God loved us, well, <laughs> what's the if? If and he did. So it's since. So since God so loved us, we ought, and this is the word we want to fo uh, focus on, God would have us to focus on this morning, us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. This is John 1.18. No created being, no angel, unfallen or fallen, has ever seen God in all his fullness, but only Jesus Christ the Son who came out came out in John 1, verse 14, came out of John 1, 1 and 2. The Word was made flesh. It didn't become, it was made flesh. So that he is the God-man. He is, he is the Word of God. He is the Word of life man. That's who he is, and that's what's brought out in 1 John 1, 1 to 3. No man has seen God at any time. If, if we love one another. What is that? That's third class. We may or may not. But if we love one another, if we do choose to do so, God dwells in us. It's so amazing because it's his love. That's who he is. And if we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is completed in us. So really, what it's saying is the measure that I love God, the measure is the first measure is he loved me first, 1 John 4.10. He loved me first. Then I choose to receive that love. How does it go back to him? Just me? No, loving all those that he loves. That goes back to him. And this is what it's bringing out. That's the ought. And we're going to see what this word means. Now, this is also in our growth in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. We're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. This is 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter. And this is what is bringing out position and experience. We went into that a little bit yesterday. But this is what it states. In 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, it says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know we know that we all have knowledge. Now, we all have knowledge about things, things we know that we shouldn't do and others shouldn't do, right? Or should do and, and others should do. But what, no, what knowledge, knowledge puffs up apart from self-sacrificial love that edifies. See that? Verse 2. And if any man think that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man, in verse 3, love God, the same is known of him. So this is, this is bringing out some tremendous truths here. Bringing them out in a very, very incredible way. Now, in this verse here, in these verses here, it's very beautiful the way it's brought out. In the, in the original language of the Greek New Testament. Okay? And this is what it is. That word ought in this particular place is the Greek word die. We, we pronounce, and it's D-E-I, die. But that's, we pronounce it like our English word D-I-E, but it's die, we ought. Now, in this particular place here, this is what is being brought out. And we're going to, 
go into this and probably have to go into it on on Thursday also or whenever God would have us to continue in and if he would. But here, this word ought, we ought to, is this. Okay? No man knows anything as they ought. But going back to 1 John 4.10, okay? 1 John 4, verse 11, I should say. 1 John 4.11, here it's making this clear when it says this. Beloved, if God so love us, we ought also to love one another. So in other words, the measure that I receive God's love for me and respond back to the initiation of it is the measure that I will love others, and that's it. And that love does away with all comparison in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12 because there's no wisdom outside of love. And to compare one another is doing it without love. And without love is their wisdom. Without God is their wisdom. Without Christ is their wisdom. This goes into Proverbs, the 8th chapter. You can start about in the 20s and go to the end of the chapter where it talks about wisdom, who Christ is. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, in this particular place, the word ought, die here, D-E-I, in the Koine Greek New Testament is in the third person. It's singular. It's an active present of this Greek word deo, D-E-O, which is a primary verb. And verb always speaks of action, doesn't it? Now, what does all that mean? That word there uh, dio, which is from the word de, uh, uh, die, is this. This is what it means. It means to bind, to be in bonds, to knit. So Colossians 2 verse 2 says their hearts were knit. And the word knit there, again, in the Greek is sumbi bazo. They were tied together in the oneness of God's love for each one and for each other. That's what it brings out when it says knit here. And it also means a tie. And I love this because when we understand it the way that God would have us understand it today, it's this, it's this that God never ties his love to my performance. God's love for me was tied to the performance of his son that propitiated him and then became my substitute and reconciler. That's what it brings out. Now, this, this word die, D-E-I, means this. It is, it is necessary as, a, as binding. This goes into how God has taught us over the years about a yoke. In Matthew 11, 28 to 30, and in Lamentations 3, verse 27, it is good that a man bear the yoke in his youth, to teach them in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, teach the child in the, in the right way when they're young, and when they're old, they won't depart from it if they've truly received it and are growing in it by God's grace, obviously. So, that is, so this is what we need to go into. Third, it's, this is written in the third person. Now, when we read the scriptures, this is what makes it necessary to understand these things so that we get the full picture, the beautiful picture of these verses, even in translations. This is something translations cannot give you. There's enough there that we can obey. But to get into the beautiful, awesome picture, the brilliance of it, this is what we need. This was in the third person. Now, we're going to go in and going to explain what this is. There's three persons in the Greek when it speaks. There's the first person. First person, what is that? That the subject is speaking. That's first person. Do you ever hear some of these guys, when, like for instance in sports, they start talking about themselves? Well, they're really talking about themselves in the third person. But here's, here's the first person. Again, this is simple to understand. 
Don't allow the enemy, and the enemy's always going to do this, going to say this, this, this is way more than what you can handle. Yeah, of course. No, it's not. And I don't believe where God has brought us that it is, for certain ones. I know that others it might, it might be, but there's still something for everybody to be able to glean from here. So the, again, the first person when, in these scriptures, when it's spoken, the subject is speaking. Then there's the second person. And we mentioned that in one of the booklets. I think that was the booklet on image. The second person is that person is someone that's being spoken of. And God always speaks of us, of who we are in Christ. Now here's the third person. The third person here, third person is what? What is the third person? The subject, the subject is acting. Third person. The subject is acting. Now, it's singular. And that means this. Okay? This is third person. So to, to look at this in 1 John 4.11, you see, it says this, that what in the third person, third person, that the subject is speaking. God is speaking towards us. Now, I want us to stop for one second and remember these things that God has taught us over the years. Number one, that the active energy, notice that word active, the active energy of God's nature is love. The purity of his nature is light. Okay? The active energy of God's nature is love. So, singular here means that God is speaking to each individual in Christ. He's speaking to us that we ought, see, that we ought also to love one another. He's speaking to us. He's taking the, these verses mean so much more when we can understand it this way. We don't have to tell every person in their capacity, but we can certainly tell them, hey, listen, God's speaking to you right now. He wants you to know this. You don't have to necessarily bring that up, but I think that we need to know it in an understanding as pastors and teachers. I definitely believe so. In our growth, of course. All right? Now, it's singular. It's each individual. It's what? Here. It is active. Active. The active energy of God's nature. It's in the active voice and it's the present tense right now. So when I read this, God is speaking to me. Listen, you ought to do this because I love you and given you that love. And I'm speaking to you in love that you can do this because my son is in you. And he loves you and I love you and him with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you want to do this. Now, again, we need to understand this, okay? So here we have this. This is in the active voice, and it's in the present tense. Now, there are certain tenses when we study the Word of God. There are certain tenses. And this is what a tense is. Tense is the quality of the verb. And you know a verb expresses what? Action, right? Tense is the quality of the verb which has to do with action. What kind of action? The action of time and the kind of actions. The kind of action. So, there are two kinds of what happens in time of action and kind of action. There's two times. There's two things. One is called linear. Linear. L-I-N-E-A-R. Linear action. And what is it described as? It's regarded as a line. It's a continuous line. All right. Then the second one is, it's called punctilier. P-U-N-C. T-I-L-I-A-R. It's punctiliar action. It's regarded as a point. Or in other words, 
The, this line action that's linear speaks of progressive or continuous action. And punctilia, regarded as a point, is action contemplated as a single perspective. One has to do, the point, punctilia, is the eternal mind of God in everything about his plan of salvation in eternity. Christ came and worked it all out continuously in a time, in time, and then he's continuously working that in us in 2 Peter 3, verse 18. We need to understand, I believe there's a handful of us, and many can, can glean from this. I believe that. I believe it with all my heart. So we're continuous. So one speaks of positional truth, the other experiential. Right? Beautiful truths here. So, punctiliar action regarded as a point. There was a point. That's eternity. Then it's linear. It's being worked out in time. And this is what makes time. This, the parenthesis of time is eternity. And it goes into these two. The point, punctiliar, and the linear. And it both speaks of the time of action and the kind. The kind came from, from God, his eternal mind. Now, Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 14, whatsoever God does, he does forever. He doesn't change in Malachi 3, 6, in James 1 and verse 17. It does not change. It doesn't change at all. This is his eternal perspective. This is Jesus when he said in John 13, 19 and 14, 29, I tell you these things before they come to pass that when they come to pass, you might believe. This is Acts 2, verse 23. It was the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God that they would take and crucify his son. So we see there was a point in eternity, the eternal mind of God. When, it, when the work was finished in his mind in Hebrews 4, 3, and in Revelation 13, verse 8, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Point. But came out and worked it out in time. Now we're in time. Now it's linear. But then we go right back into these eternal truths and we continue from that point in this linear action to grow in him, in that love, in Ephesians 3, and verse 19. To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. Now, what does the present tense indicate? It indicates progressive action, the action of God's love, right at the present time. This will bring out the reality of Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. We have this great high priest who's passed into the heavens, because in time, linear, the linear action of his submission to the Father worked all of this out, worked all of it out. And it's so incredible to understand it, these things. Are we, and I'm just starting to get more and more of a picture of this, and I think that God is doing that with all of us this morning in this incredible beauty of this Koine Greek New Testament. And then, so we see that there was a point in the eternal mind of God to work out eternity and time, parenthesis, that we, what we take out of here in our salvation and, 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 and the measure that we grew, and, and this brings in rewards at the Bema Seat in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, and 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and on and on it goes, right? And then once we leave, then we go into Revelations 2 and verse 17. We partake with Christ of the hidden manna and the white stone, who we are in our own image with him, that name, and we grow in it in Ephesians 3 and verse 19 for all eternity. See, because it was eternal, a point, you see. Then the voice, remember, see? So it's the voice. And what does the voice do? What does the voice have to do in the Koine Greek New Testament? What was actually penned by God the Holy Spirit? And men translate that. And because of our weaknesses and failures and all that, there's mistakes that are made. 
but God will even use those, obviously, to keep us humble. But the voice here is the quality of verbs, which indicates the relationship of the subject to the action. That's us, you see. There's the, a quality of the expression, expressive action of God's love towards you and I in the relationship that we have in Christ. And he speaks the action of his love to us through the purity of the light of the scriptures. And this is what this brings out here. And, and understanding these. And we're just, this is just a precursor on these things. There's so much that it goes into. But the active voice here, and the voice, there's the active voice means that the subject is acting. God is acting on us through Jesus Christ, through what he's accomplished. The passive voice, and this is always the voice of grace, means that the subject is being acted upon. And God would not be able to act upon us outside of that grace, that in truth, that Christ is in John 1 and verse 14. That's why it says in James 4, verse 6, God resists the proud, but he gives greater grace to the humble. Therefore, you need to submit yourself to God. And then you resist the devil in 4, 7 of James, and he'll flee from you. And that's why in 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. That's due, due time is the humility and dependence, faith dependence of our growth. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. So there's the active voice, and again, that means the subject is acting. Now, can I act if I receive that love towards one another, just like God acted on me? Yes, because it's through grace. I passively receive that grace. That's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. He said, I am not meet, not qualified to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. He said, but I am what I am. By the grace of God, and I labored more abundantly than the rest. Yes, but yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Do you see? He received, we received uh, the eternal Christ, the eternal word in a point of time, and then linear. We begin to start growing instantly as we submit and receive these truths. So, and again, the active voice means the subject is acting. Okay, the passive voice means that the subject is being acted upon. Now, then there's the mood. What's the mood? The mood in the Koine Greek is the quality of verbs which indicates the relation of the action to reality. Is there anything that is real outside of who God is, his love, his justice, and all that, and his attributes. Is there any reality? Is there any truth? None. Mood, the quality of verbs, the expressive action of God's love, indicates the relation of the action to reality. You know, that's why it's way back in, Genesis, in Exodus 3 and verse 14, where he said to Moses, I am... That's reality. God wants us to know reality himself through the manifestation of his Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, I am. Jesus said in Revelations 1, 8, 11, and 17, I am the Alpha and the Omega. See eternity? And in between this time, the beginning and the end. That's why it says in Isaiah 46 and verse 10, he declares the end from the beginning. That's what it says. So incredibly. So for us to understand these things, it brings out a much more expressive picture. And we don't necessarily have to share these things with everybody, but boy, we can sure get so much more for ourselves and bring it to, to, to and serve it to others the best that God leads us to. But we need to know it, I believe, by grace and growth and all, obviously. So that's the relation. The mood is the quality of verbs which indicates the relation of the action to reality, the I am. <laughs> Jesus said in John 8, verse 58 and 59, he said, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> 
Before Abraham began to be, I am <laughs> reality. <laughs> okay? Everything about this Bible is for God to get us know who he is in the reality of who he is in his nature, character, and essence. And that's why it's extremely important in our growth, no matter where we start, to know what God is like in his nature, character, and essence. And that's what makes his love to be causeless and to be so essential because it's the essence of his nature. That's what makes it so important. So again, then there's the and then there's that mood, right? The mood. Then there's the indicative mood. Now many have said in my study through the years with these with the different Greek uh, teachings, the indicative mean in, in one sense it's indicating something, but it's even more the indicative mood is that mood which confirms the reality of the action from the viewpoint of the speaker. God, it's so amazing. Think about that. It's indicative. It's the mood of certainty and reality. God is speaking to us from the reality of who he is. And he's confirming it by the action of his love, which is his viewpoint of us. This is Job 36, verse 7. He never removes his eye from the righteous. In Deuteronomy 32 and 10, in Psalm 17 and verse 8, in Zechariah 2, in verse 8, we're the apple of his eye from an eternal viewpoint. Being worked out in time, yes. That's his viewpoint of us. It never changes, boy. That's, that's the mood, the indicative mood of reality. That is God revealing to us his thoughts about us. So Jeremiah 29, verse 11, he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Because I know who I am and the reality of who I am. And that's how I know you. And that's what we get into trouble at times when we mix our thoughts. Where do they come from? They don't come from God. With, with God. And then there's a lot of confusion in 1 Corinthians 14.33. Because God's order in 1 Corinthians 14.40 is Christ. That's, that's our reality. So, when we see this, when we see these words... And when we get to them and see them, they're amazing in what they mean. They, they are so incredible. Now, the day here, the day here is th that die, I should say, in D-E-I, -D here, here, in this particular verse of 1 John 4.11 is, is because Christ came and in his humanity he had to learn and submit to God. In the same way that now we can because he did that. But yet he was the God God from the from the what? The point of eternity. <laughs> and then he became one with 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 the Humanity, God the Son, became the, 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 uh, the, the, the Son of Man in his humanity and worked it out linearly, in, in a linear sense. And that's the synoptics in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then even in John. So it makes it so important to have the full, full orb of the Scriptures and not just the Pauline, so-called Pauline, even though they were the, they were the, the Word, the, the heavenly Christ word given to Paul as a messenger for us. And so that's why we ought. Why should we, why can, why should we ought to do it? Because Jesus did it when we couldn't. Now we can receive it and we can do it when we receive that love and when we submit to it. And so here, here in that particular place, in that particular place, it's bringing out what we should do because of what he's done. That's that Greek word, die. Now, Jesus also did that, but he, didn't he do it first? And without him, what can we do? In John 15, 1-5, we can do nothing. But now we're going to bring out something else that he did. <laughs> and even in this greater sense. And so when I read this scripture here, 
when I read Luke at 24 and verse 46, and there's going to be several other places, and we'll go into those in, in a greater way, in a greater way, I believe, uh, possibly on Thursday, if God doesn't have, have us to do that before. Before, and I'll tell you what would help with this message even is the one that preceded it on, on Sunday, if God leads you to do so. But this is Luke 24 and verse 46. Now again, again, even that word, die, D-E-I, it means it behooved. It behooved us. So it behooves us, or in other words, it's what we ought to do in 1 John 4.11, because 1 John 4.10, he loved us first in 1 John 4.19. Now, even in that sense, Christ in his perfect humanity, but humanity, was always submitting to the Father's love. So it was behooving him, and instantly he did so, even in that sense of die, D-E-I. But now the Holy Spirit wants to bring out the depth of this truth to us. And this is Luke 24 and verse 46. And this is what it says. And then we can see that the fulfillment of Luke uh, 24, 46 is Psalm 22. But this is 24, verse 46 of Luke. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, the Holy Spirit, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power on high. This is bringing out what happened in Acts, the second chapter, when the church of Jesus Christ was formed. Acts 2, not 9, not 13, not 26. It began in Jerusalem. There were Jews that heard the precious gospel and received Christ and instantly received the Holy Spirit. Church was formed. The fulfillment of John, of John 14, 16, and 17, the promise, which was the Holy Spirit. Now, that word behooved here, that word here, behooved, is also brought out here. Again, Luke 24, verse 46, is brought out here in Hebrews chapter 2. And we're going to see where this is. Hebrews 2. And verse 16, Hebrews 2 and verse 16. This is where it says, and 17. For verily he took not on him, he did not take on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Here's 17. This is where we're going to get. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. Human nature, no sin nature. That he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things that have to do with God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people for that in, in that he himself have suffered the test. He was never tempted. God doesn't tempt man with evil. So God, the humanity of Christ, he had no sin nature, so you cannot tempt him. So we need to understand Matthew 4, 1 to 11 and Luke 4, 1 to 11 and understand that the devil wasn't tempting Christ. It was a test, obviously. That's all it was. But who was? Who was being tested? <laughs> now, for in he that himself suffered being tested, he is able also to succor them that are tempted. Because we can be tempted with evil. He never could be. Now, behooved, Hebrews 2 and verse 17. And we're going to just share this quickly. The word behooved here, it's almost like ought again. And, and it's this word, of alio, of ilo. Luo, actually. This is O-P-H-E-I-L-O. 
and it's used in certain tenses. This word behooved is used in certain tenses. Now remember that tense is the quality of the verb which has to do with action. That has to do with time of action and kind of action. Remember, linear action is regarded as a continuous line. Punctiliar action is regarded as a point or action contemplated as a single perspective. That's, again, 1 John 3.20. God knows all things. He knows all things at all times ever since he's always been. <laughs> okay, that's punctiliar. And again, the present tense indicates progressive action at the present time. Now, what is this teaching us? What is it teaching us, this word here, this particular word? So going back to Hebrews 2 and verse 17, it's ophilo or ophelio. And this is what it means. This is what it means. It means to heap up. It behooved them to do it, to heap up. Listen, to heap up. This is John 1, verse 16. Of his fullness have we all received, and grace, anti, heaped up upon grace, heaped up upon grace. This was at, a, this was at the point when we received the eternal Son, but linear for all eternity we're going to grow in grace. Here, there is interruption and disturbance. There, face to face with him, in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, which is Revelations 2 and verse 17, there will never be another disturbance or a distraction, but we will continue to grow in that love, the action of that love. Again, this is what it means to heap up, to accumulate, to have benefit. You know, this is Psalm 68, verse 19. He daily loads us with the benefits of what he's accumulated, what he has heaped up, first and foremost, propitiating his Father, then in the being the substitute for us, he is multiplying and heaping us on us, heaping up on us for all eternity, what's ours. Personally, singularly, the singular, remember, singular, and we can singularly love because he's speaking to us. He's speaking of us, who we are in Christ. You can do this. 1 John 4, 11, you can do it. All you have to do is submit. And you watch that love flow in towards you and in you and through you and goes to one another. What is accumulated? Again, and then what does it speak of? Advantage. Advantage. The dative in the Greek, the dative, D-A-T-I-V-E, the dative in the Greek speaks of the disadvantage or advantage. This is to our advantage. <laughs> Gosh, amazing. Advantage, that's what it means. Advantage and profit. This is 1 Corinthians 13 too. Without love, I am what? Nothing. Maybe in my experience through not submitting to it, not in my position, not from his viewpoint, but what's mine in my experience? You see this? And I'm seeing it with you? And, and then in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, without love it profits me what? Nothing. There's no reality outside of God's love in us through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and Him constantly expressing that. That's why in Ephesians 4, verse 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying love, edifying through grace, no suspicion in love, no irritation in grace, that it may minister grace to the hearers and stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve Him. Don't stop Him from revealing who Christ is in you, in the depth of his love for you, in you and through you, and that love to others. This goes into John 10, 10b. He's come that we might have life individually, but that have it more abundantly. The abundance of how we love and receive that love and obey God and return that love is the measure that we love each other and it becomes an abundance. <laughs> and this is what is all being brought out. Uh, this morning. So, and figuratively, that word, that word, O-P-H-E-I-L-E-O, -E speaks of accruing, and, and it means to owe. So, in a sense, 
It was owed because God so loved us in John 3, verse 16. There was an owing that he had to send his son. But of course, he first had to be propitiated in Genesis 22 and verse 8 so that his son could be the offered sacrifice substitute for us, thereby reconciling us. That's Acts 4.12. There's no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. That's 1 Timothy 2 and verse 5. There's one mediator between God and men. It's the man, Christ Jesus. The action the full action of God's love. And this, in a way of deity in John 1, 1, that no one can know, but Jesus Christ came out with humanity to reveal it to us in a growth for all eternity, simply because in Isaiah 57, verse 15, God inhabits eternity. So as we begin to close this, begin to close it, figuratively, we ought to do it in 1 John 4, 11. We ought to love one another. We must why? Because he must increase in that love for us in our experience. But I must decrease in John 3.30. And I should because I ought to. And I ought to because I should. And this ought, this ought here, this ought is amazing. But again, I just want to close with behooved here in Luke 24.46. That word behooved, again, there... Again, again, in D-E-I, means this. Die, it, is, it was necessary. There was a need of it. Christ our need, Philippians 4 and verse 13. There was this need, and it behooved him. And it was right and proper for him to do it, to propitiate the Father, and thus become the substitute for us. And so that necessity was brought on him by circumstances, by these circumstances, and by the conduct of others towards him, towards God, <laughs> against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, in Psalm 51 and verse 4, because we were, we, were we, were, we were born in iniquity in 51.5. As soon as they come out of the womb, the babies, they speak lies. The lying nature in John 8, verse 44, revealed in Psalm 58 and verse 3. But it would behoove him. It was necessary. There was necessity in reference to what is required to attain some end. That God would love us and that love would be dealt with in justice so that he could freely love us and we could go out with that love to the unsaved. But let me tell you, that starts in the local assembly with us that love. Then we go out and minister to those and give them the great news in 2 Corinthians 5, 19 that we, you can be reconciled because the, the, the Son has propitiated the Father and become your substitute for your sins. Again, Leviticus 1 and verse 4 and the 16th chapter of Leviticus brings all these out in the types. But as we begin to close here, to attain some end and so it was necessity of a law. I mean, just the legal covenant, the 10 Hebrew words in Exodus 23 to 17? No, far more than that. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in Romans 8 verse 2 has set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, God sending his own son in the likeness of that, of the, his, his, of that human nature and ended it and finished it for us. And that's, that law there is Romans 8, 2, and 3. Far above what Christ did. He not only fulfilled the law, crossed every T, dot every I in Matthew 5, 17, and 18, and become the end of the law in Romans 10, verse 4. But even that, the end of the law, because all that legal covenant did was bring out in, in Romans 7, verse 12. Listen, the law is holy, just, and good. What did it bring out? That I can't do anything in 7, 13 before I even try to do it. Well, outside of Christ, it's evil. Coming from an evil nature in Genesis 6, 5 and Genesis 8 and verse 21. It was necessary. It behooved him. And he did both of these Greek words. From a point and came out, point, punctilia, and worked it out in time, linear, and it's going to go right into all eternity. He did all of that. So it was a necessity of law and command 
He always did those things that pleased him. The commands of the authority of God's love in John 8, 29 and Romans 15, 3. It was his duty and it brought in equity. The recompense due by the law of God, the law of God that Christ fulfilled. Necessity established by the counsel and decree of God. That's Psalm 110, verse 1, with scores of other scriptures. We don't have time to get into them this morning. I decreed you. You are my son, in whom all my fullness is. Everything. Everything. Throughout all eternity, through time, through eternity, into time, and back into eternity forever. Necessity by the counsel and decree of God, especially that purpose of his. His purpose, read Ephesians 1, 1 through 23, specifically 5 through 14. Purpose, his purpose. The purpose of his, which relates to the salvation of men, and which is disclosed and brought out in all those Old Testament prophecies and types denoting especially that constraint which arises from divine appointment. Constraint. We know in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, as we close for the final time here, the love of Christ constrains us, holds us together. The action of that love, the action of God's nature, and, and bringing in the purity of who we are as the children of light in 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5 and Ephesians 5.8 constrains us because we thus judge, we thus discern now that if one died, all were dead, all were separated from him. And then in verse 15, that they which live should henceforth from now on stop living to themselves, but unto him who died and rose again for him. And we're just thankful this morning, Father, for the constraint of your love that holds us in a vice. And only you, only God, the Holy Spirit, and he's given us this unction in 1 John 2.20, the Holy Spirit. And he's the teacher in 1 John 2.27. He's the theologian. He's the scholar. He's the initiator through what Christ has finished. And we receive in humility and dependence to experience the greatness of who God is manifested through his son, the revelation that doesn't change, but we grow in it forever and for all eternity. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.